نحن نقص عليك أحسن القصص بما أوحينا إليك هذا القرآن وإن كنت من قبله لمن الغافلين السلام عليكم ورحمة الله وبركاته الحمد لله والصلاة والسلام على رسول الله وعلى آله وصحبه ومن ولاهما بعد We are continuing on our exploration of the story of the Prophet Adam عليه السلام and uh, uh, inshallah we will not be condensing anything apparently uh, my remarks last week uh, caused a whole flurry of comments online uh, so inshallah don't worry it was never my plan to to condense and today will be another example of this uh, foray because my goal isn't just to teach about uh, uh, Adam but also to teach about aspects related to that and in the process we will learn and explore and as they say the sky is the limit Pun intended if you're going to study our topic today, that is a pun that is intended. Uh, so today we're going to start talking about what do we know about the characteristics of our father Adam alayhi salam? What do we know about what he looked like and other things about his physical uh, features? And we will begin with uh, the first hadith, which is the most explicit hadith. And it is also the hadith that has raised a lot of discussion, uh, even controversies uh, and uh, attempts have been made to try to understand what is the meaning of this hadith. And that hadith is the one narrated from Abu Hurair radiallahu an, in which uh, he says that the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wasallam said that the first group of people that enter Jannah will be like the full moon and then will follow them a group as bright as the brightest star. And then others will follow. And then he said, all of them will be in the form of their father, Adam, 60 cubits tall, 60 cubits in the sky. This hadith is in Bukhari and Muslim. So we learn from this that Adam salam was 60 cubits tall. In another hadith, uh, also reported by Abu Hurairah, uh, the Prophet ﷺ said that uh, Allah said to Adam that go greet those angels and listen carefully to their reply because their reply to you will be the greetings of you and your progeny. So Adam went to them and said, Assalamu alaikum. And they replied, Wa alaikum salam wa rahmatullah. And they added, Wa rahmatullah. And then in this hadith, uh, the wording is, Therefore, everyone who will enter Jannah will be in the surah of Adam, in the form of Adam, uh, that Allah created in 60 cubits. Allah created in 60 cubits. So I'll explain what a cubit is. And then the hadith says, وَمَا زَالَ الْخَلْقِ يَنْقُصُ إِلَى الْآنِ That uh, the literal translation would be that the creation has ever since been decreasing in stature. The creation has ever since been decreasing in size. Now, uh, this narration uh, mentions that uh, Adam was 60 cubits and it has a phrase that implies that from Adam's time up until our time, there has been a gradual diminishing until we get to uh, our, uh, uh, our height that we have. Now, what is a cubit? A cubit, dhira, is this amount. Okay, this is a dhira. 
okay? So from the uh, elbow all the way to the tip of the finger. As you're aware, uh, in early times, people did not measure in inches and feet and meters. This is a later development. They would uh, uh, measure in hand span. This is a hand span. And they would measure in dhira'. Okay, this is a dhira'. And on average, a dhira' is roughly the same. You get a rough idea. They didn't have the type of scientific measurements that we do. And so a dhira', yani an average human uh, is like five dhira', let's say. Okay, so in this hadith, we learned that Adam was 60 dhira'. 60 dhira' is roughly 90 feet. Like a hundred feet. In our times, it's like a, a six-story, seven-story building. This isn't even like a three-story house. We're talking about a giant six or seven stories. Imagine, I want you to imagine and uh, picture that. Now, obviously, uh, this hadith, I'm going to actually pause here because it is a very, very important case study about what do we do when we come across a narration that we find ourselves, you know, scratching our heads. Like, how do we understand? How do we understand this? Because obviously, uh, when we come across this narration that says that Adam was, you know, a uh, hundred feet tall and he's seventy or yeah, uh, uh, sixty cubits, which is literally 80, 90, 100 feet. Well, this this seems it seems to clash with the reality that uh, well, two simple realities, or actually, you can even say three. Uh, the first of them is that uh, there are no archaeological remains of any civilizations or any human beings that were significantly larger than our own. And realize that we have the archaeological remains of, of humans and also proto-humans. Now in a later lecture in this series, inshallah, I will discuss uh, the, the notion of evolution. And, uh, and again, just to jump the gun, I'll just tell you right now that um, uh, I do not believe that our father Adam alayhi salam uh, is, is linked to a species that came in earlier times. Adam was a miracle and Allah sent Adam down at a particular point in time. And I will explain why I hold that, uh, that belief and why uh, uh, we, we, we have to do so as Muslims because the evidences are simply too explicit and clear in this regard. And this, this same issue that I'm talking about now the potential clash between a text and between something outside the text, we will come back to that and that conflict will be resolved in a different manner. Today, we're going to resolve it in uh, a number of manners and leave the choice up to you. So I'm saying right now, was the uh, notion of Adam salam being 60 cubits and then slowly mankind is diminishing until we are now, you know, roughly, you know, five and a half feet to six and a half feet. Or the average human height is, you know, five and a half to six and a half feet. And in fact, if you look at archaeological remains, we, we can go back uh, hundreds of thousands of years, hundreds of thousands of years. And the bones of human beings are pretty much the same size. When you go to the, uh, uh, the humanoid creations before that, you go to Cro-Magnon, you go to Neanderthals, you go to other species that are alleged to be the precursors to, to Homo sapiens. They too roughly are the same size, if not a little bit shorter than us. There is no species of humanoids that has ever been discovered that is even eight, nine, 10 feet, much less, uh, you know, uh, 80, 90, 100 feet. Also, there are no archeological, so there's no bones. There's also no structures built by any ancient civilization that would seem that they are uh, larger than us. In fact, the earliest structures that were built, 
and they go back tens of thousands of years. The first structures built by man, and we have them still, are around 10,000 years old. And the structures of Thamud and the people of Salih and where they lived, they're still around. Those aren't 10,000 years, but I'm saying we have them in Arabia. Uh, we have those, those remnants. And if you go there, it is very clear that their size is our size. The chambers that they walk into, that they carved into the mountains, uh, and, the, and the, the tools that are used, we find these tools uh, from ancient times. They're tools that fit into uh, the normal human hand. As well, there's the added biological reality. And that is that from a physiological and a biological perspective, the human shape as we know it could never be uh, proportionate, if you like, to 70, 80 feet and remain as it is. It would be impossible uh, according to the laws that we consider to be uh, scientific. It would be impossible according to the laws that we know them. And again, there is nothing impossible for Allah. But I'm saying we have to first, firstly ask ourselves, what do we do with this text? Was it a miracle? If it is a miracle, then we believe. But is there a way that we can rethink? And that's what we're gonna be doing today. So from a physiological and biological perspective, if we were to be on earth with the gravity that we have and the laws of physics that we know and the laws of biology that we have accepted, it would not be possible to have a human, uh, given our modern uh, knowledge of, of, uh, of chemistry and biology, except that the bones would crush under the weight of this you know, megaton creature, and the heart would not be able to pump the blood, and the blood vessels would burst because of the pressures and a host of other issues. In fact, the physiology of such a giant being would necessarily transform the shape into something so radically different as to render the final being something that is not even recognizable as human. So here we get to our problem. What do we do when it seems as if this interpretation that the creation went from 100 feet to 90 feet to 80 feet to 70 feet to 60 feet and slowly goes all the way down. That's an interpretation by the way, right? Again, people who get so flustered or become irritated or want to refute. Remember, this is an interpretation. We don't know yet, are there other interpretations? That's what I'm asking you to think about and bear with me. That's the whole point here, that when we come across something, that uninterpretation of it seems to clash with all facts as we know them. Then are we warranted to go back to the text and try to find another interpretation. And by the way, and again, before alhamdulillah, my uh, critics want to release or would not realize Ibn Hajar, himself problematized this hadith in his commentary in Sahih al-Bukhari. Not some modern person studying from here and there. Ibn Hajar himself says that this hadith is problematic. Yustashkal, this is in his commentary, right? It is problematic insofar as it seems to clash with the archeological remains of previous civilizations because they weren't 100 feet or 80 feet. And then Ibn Hajar says, and I do not know up until now, until I'm writing this, I do not know how to solve this conundrum, how to solve this 
problem. This is Ibn Hajar, subhanAllah. So please, brothers, and they're all brothers who are doing the refuting. Brothers, just chill, calm down. This is a serious question. It's not deviancy. We are trying to defend the sunnah of the Prophet SallAllahu And we're wondering, how can we understand this? Wallahi, if it's a miracle, sami'na wa ata'na. But is it a miracle? Is it something that is a miracle? Or are we assuming things that we don't need to assume? And this is how the whole issue comes of trying to resolve the potential conflict between an interpretation of a text and between facts that are found outside of the text, knowledge that is obtained outside of the text. And in this case, the knowledge that is obtained is the knowledge from our archeological studies and surveys, from the remains of previous civilizations, from our knowledge of chemistry, of physics, basic physics. You can't have a hundred foot giant, uh, you know, without the, the body shape being completely different. Simple physics would dictate that you can't have a, a, a human of this stature. So what do you do when there's a perceived clash? And again, uh, in sh this is a topic I could speak quite a lot about. My PhD dissertation was actually on this topic, the, uh, the, the, the clash or the perceived clash between reason and revelation. What to do in, term, in, in case of a conflict between uh, aql and naql and how Ibn Taymiyyah uh, solved that. But my point being, much can be said here. Uh, when it comes to the Quran, uh, we have one set of parameters because the Quran is very, uh, we know what the Quran is, we know what the text of the Quran is, the Quran is preserved and it is un, uh, uh, uncontested. When it comes to the hadith, we have actually a different set of tools we can use and it's a different methodology. And the issue comes, what if the, the, the narrator made a mistake? What if uh, a wording was said that was mudraj interpolated? What if uh, the isnad is weak? And there's a lot of what ifs that can be raised. And again, this is an entire subject of uh, the topic of the sciences of hadith, which was actually my undergraduate specialization when I was studying at, uh, in Medina. So there were some groups, there were some uh, movements, such as the Mu'tazila, who basically said, went to one extreme, and they said, if a hadith does not make sense, then we will reject it. And the problem comes, who's gonna decide if it doesn't make sense? The problem comes, who's gonna be the judge of it doesn't make sense? So because of this, the Mu'tazila, uh, they basically rejected all of the books of hadith as we know them, and they would only affirm those hadith that already fit in their preconceived world view. Now the problem with this comes is that, well, I mean, what if your worldview is wrong? Right? And of course for the Mu'tazila, it wasn't science, it wasn't physics, it wasn't chemistry. For the Mu'tazila, it was issues of theology, of attributes, of Qadr. They had a presumption about Allah and about Qadr. And based on their presumption, they rejected hadith. Now, knowledge of Allah, the reality of Qadr, this is a mystery that Allah knows. And when He tells us something, how can we challenge that? However, knowledge of the laws of this world, that is where we can discover and we can check. And there are plenty of examples from within our own tradition of great scholars of hadith, reflecting, questioning and doubting a hadith that are narrated in the books, but they don't live up to the realities of the worlds that we live in. And it is well known, there are many, you can even write, read articles in English about this. This is called metan criticism, M-A-T and metan. Metan is an Arabic word, it means the text of the hadith, the text of the hadith. 
There's something called metan criticism. This is a standard classical science that on what basis can you criticize a metan and doubt this metan originated from uh, the Prophet wasallam. And by the way, this is a key point here that many, many innocent Muslims and beginning students of knowledge don't understand. When a scholar of hadith, when a person trained in the sciences of hadith comes and says, hey, this hadith uh, is gotta be weak because of this issue in the either the isnad or the metan. And then somebody says, A'udhu Billah, you're rejecting what the Prophet said. No, not at all. Even the Mu'tazila would never say this, never. No Muslim can reject what the Prophet ﷺ says or else that person is not a Muslim. When the scholars of hadith and the scholars of fiqh and other groups like the Mu'tazila, when they said this hadith is not authentic, what they are saying, listen carefully, the Prophet ﷺ could not have said this. This is a mistake, there's something wrong. None of them is saying the Prophet said it and I'm rejecting. A'udhu Billah. No Muslim can do that. Rather, what they are saying is something doesn't add up here. Something is wrong here. Either a wording has is, is there, or it's a da'if isnad, or something in the metan, uh, you know, indicates that it is not coming from the Prophet And of course, me personally, uh, I'm coming from the uh, Sunni paradigm, and that affirms the books of hadith, and overall the methodology of great scholars like Imam al-Bukhari, uh, and of course, uh, later after Ibn Salah, and others who wrote about the sciences of hadith. This is my methodology. I am never, I have never rejected or, or gone beyond that. Unfortunately, as is the case, beginning students of knowledge, they don't understand and they immediately are quick to judge. In reality, metan criticism is a core aspect of hadith methodology within mainstream Sunnism. Agreed, the Mu'tazila. And those who reject hadith in our times, they have taken this much larger than it needs to be. But that doesn't mean that we neglect and negate the reality. If a metan, if a text of the hadith is highly problematic. There is a famous scholar of hadith Ali al-Madini that he came across a hadith that, you know, if you eat such and such a, a, an herb, if you eat this um, uh, something, uh, I've forgotten what it was, that you will never get leprosy. There, there was a hadith narrated in his time and he goes, this hadith cannot be true because we know people eat this and they still get leprosy. So he took a reality that people experience leprosy and they eat this and he said, this can't be true. Without even checking isnad, you don't need to check if a hadith says that if you eat this, this spice or this herb or this substance and you're not gonna get a leprosy. And then you see hundreds of people getting leprosy and they ate that, something doesn't add up here, right? And this is Ali al-Madini, the teacher of Imam al-Bukhari. And we have many other examples, frankly, even before Ali al-Madini, the concept of rethinking through and criticizing is, uh, the metan, it goes back to the Sahaba themselves. We find the kernels of this metan criticism. We have dozens of examples of the Sahaba saying, no, no, that, 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 couldn't, that couldn't emanate. The Prophet didn't say that. And they're listening to another companion. It's not a long chain. For our cases, we have four or five people between us and the Prophet Imam al-Bukhari on average has five people. Tirmidhi has a lot of times six people. Uh, and, and so you have this long chain. What if one person gave another wording? What if one person made a mistake? This is what is at stake here. Not, a'udhu billah, rejecting what the Prophet said. Aisha radiallahu anha, this hadith is in Bukhari and Muslim. Aisha radiallahu anha, she heard uh, that Umar ibn al-Khattab said, that the dead person is punished when his family members cry at his funeral, uh, cry meaning wail, like not cry, cry, like wail. His, the dead person is punished when the family members uh, wail over the dead. 
Aisha radiallahu anha said, may Allah have mercy on Umar radiallahu anha, he made a mistake. The Quran says, وَلَا تَزِرُ وَازِرَةٌ وِزْرَ أُخْرَى No soul shall bear the burden of another. Rather, the Prophet said, and then she narrated a different hadith. Now, there's a lot of discussion, people can go back and forth. I want you to concentrate on one thing, one thing. Aisha radiallahu anha heard a wording from Umar ibn al-Khattab. And she said, may Allah have mercy, he made a mistake. Because that wording contradicts the Quran. Think about this. That wording contradicts the Quran. It can't be that he said that. Is anybody going to accuse Aisha radiallahu of rejecting the sunnah? No, again, this is standard overzealousness and youth that just want to consider everybody to be a deviant and everybody's off. It doesn't work that way. Learn and study and humble yourself. There is something called matin criticism. And this hadith that Adam alayhi salam was 60 cubits and his generations continue to come down, down, down until now we have, you know, in our times five cubits. I'm not the first to problematize it. Plenty of scholars, uh, it wasn't just me, Ibn Khaldun. Ibn Khaldun said this hadith cannot be authentic because of the, uh, I'm not saying it's not authentic, I'm saying he said that because he could not uh, reconcile this with the lived reality. And so the point being that the notion of matin criticism is well known. It is a part of our Sunni Islam. It's not even Mu'tazili. So the issue comes, what do we do now when we seem to have, seem to. It's because there is never an actual contradiction between the speech of Allah and His Messenger and between any fact. Take this as a rule, brothers and sisters. Never can the actual speech of Allah and something the Prophet said, never can it contradict a known fact or reality. That's impossible because if it did, then it would imply a contradiction and there is no contradiction between the speech of Allah and the creation of Allah. Rather, any such problematization is something in our minds and we need to solve and work through. And the details of how we do this varies from subject to discipline and, and whatnot. But here, we, we could, because we're talking about this, um, uh, this, uh, this topic, I'm trying to point out that yes, this is a very uh, necessary topic to stop at. And a number of great scholars of the past actually did discuss this hadith. The word Ibn Hajar uses is uh, problematic, problematic. يستشكل or يستشكل, depending on how you want to put the tashkil on it, right? This is the word that he used when he's commenting on it in Sahih Bukhari. The other great scholar, Al-Maqdisi, uh, who wrote a book, Kitab al-Badi wa Tariq, that he wrote uh, in the fourth century of the Hijrah, that he wrote that many of the Muslims, they have rejected this notion that Adam alayhi salam was a giant because it is something that is not the norm. It's not something that is known to be, that this wording seems to be problematic. Now, what do we do with this, with this, with this issue? There's a number of ways we can do this, right? And uh, I want to refer you, by the way, there's a great uh, paper that uh, I think is going to be published soon, inshallah, by one of our local uh, Dallas uh, up-and-coming scholars, Mufti Muntasir Zaman. Uh, he has written a paper, a very nice paper, about uh, this issue of the, the hadith of Adam and the, the, the height of Adam. Uh, and uh, you'll find, I think, online, or if not, it's going to be published soon. Uh, but I have access to it. He generously shared it with me a while back. So I'll summarize some of his uh, findings as well and add some of my own thoughts um, as well to this issue. Now, a number of things can be done. When we have a wording from a hadith that 
seems to clash with known facts, with known realities. Now, obviously, we are people of Sunnah. So we are not going to even talk about the Mu'tazila position of saying, we're just going to reject it ad hoc. That doesn't make sense. We have to go a little bit deeper that, okay, well, where did it come from? What is the issue here? So we have, we're, we are not following the Mu'tazili paradigm that just because my mind cannot understand it, I will reject it. We have to go a little bit deeper. And if it is really a problem, then we will figure out a way, how did that problem come? And what is the origin of it? So what is to be done? Well, with regards to, uh, with regards to uh, this particular hadith, we have a number of different ways out there. The first is basically Ibn Hajar's, uh, uh, Ibn Hajar's uh, philosophy, and that is, I don't know, la adri. Literally he goes, la adri, I, I don't know what to do. And that is completely permissible and fine. The technical term for this is tawaqquf. Tawaqquf means you just don't worry about it, don't care about it, and let it be. And that's fine, no problem, alhamdulillah. You are not obliged by Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala to understand this hadith. If you don't know what it is, let it be. That's fine. So Ibn Hajar, he uh, took this. He goes, I have no clue, basically. There's a clear problem between reality as we know it and between the explicit text of this hadith. So he goes, I have no idea what to do. And he left it at that. And this is a philosophy that is good, no problem. And anybody who is satisfied with it, alhamdulillah, you know, all, uh, all the best. Now, another way to do this, another way uh, to do this, is uh, to believe that, you know, um, Allah is capable of everything. And if the hadith says that Adam was 60 cubits, then we're gonna believe that, you know, he was on this earth 60 cubits. And if the hadith says that his, his progeny continued to decrease, well then, they did continue to decrease. And we'll just assume that we haven't found their bones. We'll just assume that there were giants roaming on earth and uh, leave it at that. And again, that is an interpretation. And if that is satisfactory to you, then Alhamdulillah, so be it. Uh, and again, it's you yourself have to decide how do you want to approach these, these texts. Now again, if somebody were to gently push back and say, uh, we have a continuous uh, uh, chronological, uh, consistent set of heights of human beings in every single era, in every single century, in every single millennia. And there has not even been a shred of evidence of any giant or anything of this nature, much less generations of giants. Because if you were to take that interpretation, you are saying that in every generation, uh, the creation goes down less and less and less. And that is demonstrably incorrect in the sense that at least for the last uh, 100,000 years, Homo sapiens, our species, Homo sapiens, demonstrably we can prove that our, our height is pretty much the same. It is not growing up uh, or down. Uh, if anything, actually in the last century, it's gone up slightly because of nutrition, if anything. So in any case, that is opinion. If, the, if, that, if you're satisfied with it, good for you, alhamdulillah. Yani no, no, no concerns between you and, and, and Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. The point is to, to find a means that you are happy with. So that is a second interpretation. And that is to say, maybe they're hiding somewhere, the bones, maybe this, maybe that, and, and we leave it. And we, 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 we don't, and of course, generally speaking, with my utmost love and respect, generally speaking, uh, the types of people who are uh, satisfied with this, uh, with this uh, answer, generally speaking, are those who haven't studied uh, uh, the sciences, and uh, they uh, are, are people that are uh, not quite familiar with 
the realities of, of archaeology and of physics and of biology. And so uh, it becomes easier for them to hold worldviews that might not be in sync with, uh, with the definitive knowledge that we know. But if it's good for them, hey, it's good for them. Alhamdulillah, no problem. So that's a second methodology. And that is the assumption that indeed there were giants and then there were smaller giants and then smaller giants. And then there were until finally they were, you know, large human beings. And then finally they were until our size. If that's a way to do that, that's fine. A third way to do this, a third methodology and a third way to do this is something that a number of ulama have done. Amongst them is Ibn Furaq, uh, who was a fourth century scholar of hadith, and also uh, Maulana Yunus uh, John Puri, who was a great scholar of hadith from the Indian subcontinent of the last uh, century, one of the greatest scholars of hadith, and a number of other scholars of hadith. And these are all Sunnis, and they're all coming from a Sunni background. They have analyzed, they have analyzed these chains in a lot of detail, and they are positing that these phrases are actually coming from a genre known as Israeliyat. We talked about Israeliyat in, when we talked about uh, the sources of the stories of the prophets, and I went into some detail. And remember, I said Israeliyat are uh, the the writings of the Judeo-Christian authors and historians. And this is what we find in the Old Testament, in the Talmud, uh, in the Mishnah. These are things that are written uh, by other civilizations, the children of Israel, the Jewish people, uh, and of course the Christians are basically following them. So in reality, it is primarily coming from Jewish sources. The Christians did not add anything about the previous prophets. The only only thing we get from the Christians in terms of knowledge of, uh, of the stories is of Isa alayhi salam. Isa alayhi salam is the only prophet we get extra information from the Christians. All the other prophets, all of the knowledge comes from the Jewish uh, uh, sources. So in the, in the Talmud, in the Talmud, it explicitly says that Adam was a giant, that Adam reached the skies is the wording that is used there. It is a Talmudic belief. It is in the Talmud that Adam reached the skies. And it is well known that uh, Ka'b al-Ahbar and others of the children of the rabbis, uh, the children of the rabbis who converted to Islam. And, and I mentioned this when I mentioned uh, many, many uh, weeks ago, the sources of the, 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 the lives of the, 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 the prophets. I mentioned that back then, as Ibn Khaldun mentioned, the Muslim civilization was still nascent. It was still new and fresh. And there was this notion that the people of the book are learned scholars. And so they would take everything they say and absorb. And sometimes, sometimes, some of the narrators who are narrating from the Sahaba, sometimes they would mess up. And when a Sahabi would say something, and it's from the Israeliyat, the Stabi'i would assume that it is from the Prophet ﷺ. And this is actually well known and it is documented in a number of instances that a person later in the chain made a mistake and attributed it to the Prophet ﷺ when in reality, in reality, it is coming from the Israeliyat. Now, Ibn Furaq, and he's writing, he's not somebody who's uh, brainwashed by the Kufars or something, no, Ibn Furaq is writing 1,000 years ago. He says, this notion is coming from the Israeliyat. And Ibn Furaq is a scholar of Hadith, by the way. And Mulana John Puri as well, he has an entire bath. It is written in Urdu. Uh, 
I, I speak uh, Tuti Puti Urdu, but I cannot read Urdu, unfortunately. So I'm, uh, I'm just uh, making taqlid of the one who narrated this to me, uh, that uh, Maulana John Puri has done an exhaustive isnad analysis, and it, he has concluded that these additional wordings about uh, the, the creation diminishing can be proven to be attributed to a particular person that goes back to the Israeliyat. It goes back to the Israeliyat. Now, if we were to say this, then the whole issue is solved. The whole issue is solved, and that is that, uh, that this is not coming from the Prophet ﷺ. And I personally am very uh, sympathetic to this because uh, we don't have these phrases. We do not have them in any other uh, uh, chains other than these ones here. It's a very clear cut, if you like, uh, you know, center of, of you know, um, all of these chains go around to this particular uh, few individuals and the individual known as Ka'b al-Ahbar, the individual known as the, the sons of the rabbis, they were associated with this group as well. So it could be a human error where this notion comes from the Jewish sources and then it is mistakenly, not intentionally, no, but you know, sometimes mistakes happen. And so mistakenly attributed to our Prophet Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam. And this is a very good uh, methodology and I, I, I like this a lot. There is yet a final one. So these are now, uh, I gave you three, we will now give you a, a, a fourth one as well. And another group has said, another group has said that this hadith can easily be understood if we simply change the meaning of when and how. And this is very intriguing. So the, 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 the problematic issue comes, when does the problematic issue come? The problematic issue comes that if you think that Adam السلام, was walking on this earth 100 feet tall, and that his children were 95 feet, and then 93, and then 92, and then 90, and then that is problematic from both archaeological and biological and physical, I mean every single aspect it is, it is uh, uh, problematic. So what if we were to say, what if we were to say that Adam was 90 foot, 100 foot tall in Jannah, in Jannah, there is no gravity, it's a totally different place, and so everything changes in Jannah, there are no archaeological remains in Jannah. And when he came down to this earth, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala made him into the size that he is now. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala made him five foot five, six foot five, however is the, the average height of man. Because obviously in Jannah, he's gonna be different biologically even. Clearly in Jannah, he's gonna be something else that he is now. Allah created him right then and there in Jannah. And he comes down to this earth and he is the size that he is. And then the phrase, وَمَا زَالَ الْخَلْقَ يَنْقُصُ إِلَى الْآنِ Instead of translating it as, and the creation has continually diminished in size until now, you translate it as, and the creation has remained naqis in height, has remained short in height until now. Now, this interpretation, I agree, it's not the first one that comes to mind. But is it invalid linguistically? Is it incorrect from a linguistic uh, uh, paradigm, from a linguistic hermeneutical uh, uh, paradigm? And the response is, no, it's not. You can affirm the authenticity of the hadith, and you can say that yes, maybe the Prophet ﷺ said this, because see, this hadith is in Bukhari and Muslim, and that's the whole point. You know, we are people, I am a person, we respect Bukhari and Muslim, we respect. By the way, to be very clear here, 
Nobody is saying that Sahih Bukhari Sahih Muslim is like the Quran. Nobody should say that. But we say, and I say, and I believe that the most authentic book after the Quran is Sahih Bukhari Sahih Muslim. No doubt about that. But does this mean that we cannot open this door like we're doing, like we're doing right now? Right now, this hadith is in Bukhari and Muslim that uh, uh, the, the creation continues to diminish in size. Well, are we allowed to rethink through? We had great ulama in the past even say this hadith, it emanated from the Israeliyat, it is not from the mouth of the Prophet Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam. Okay, that's there, you find it, people said that. You had other scholars say it's not authentic, which is basically the same thing, it's not authentic, right? By the way, just for FYI, there have been a very small handful of hadith in Bukhari and Muslim that have been challenged by mainstream ulama within uh, Sunni Islam, but generally speaking, 99% of the hadith in Bukhari and maybe 95% of hadith in Muslim, generally speaking, they have remained unchallenged and that shows you the status of these two books. And as somebody who has studied these books and has ijazat in them and has known and, and done a lot of study. Uh, I also am of this school and philosophy that believes that these two books really are uh, as authentic as humanly possible, but still, just because they're as authentic as humanly possible, it does not mean that every single phrase in every single hadith emanated from the Prophet wasallam. and we do have the right if we follow the proper methodology as I'm doing in this lecture, we do have the right to rethink and reanalyze and wonder, is there an alternative? So the, this alternative or this fourth position is a very interesting one. And that is that it says that indeed the Prophet did say, because the third position says he didn't say it. It's the Israeliyat and accidentally, mistakenly, one of the narrators, and uh, Molana John Puri goes into a lot of detail uh, with all of the chains and charts and everything, uh, one of the narrators mistakenly attributed to the Prophet and in reality, it is from Ka'ab al-Ahbar and the other, uh, uh, other source of Israeliyat. Position number four is saying, the Prophet said it, but you guys are taking one interpretation and it is possible to take another interpretation. And that interpretation is, Adam was indeed 60 cubits in Jannah. He came down to this earth, the normal size, and he remained and his progeny remained naqis in height, deficient in height up until now. Okay, so wamazala does not mean that it continuously decreased generation after generation, but rather that the decrease in height was continuous. That no gener and and there and by the way, what 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 confirms this interpretation is that the context of the hadith is what the context of the hadith is when the people enter Jannah, they will enter Jannah at the height of Adam, sixty cubits. So then the question arises, hold on a sec, if Adam was 60 cubits, we're gonna enter Jannah in 60 cubits, what happened in the middle? And this hadith says, the khalq is naqis throughout all of this. In the middle, from Adam until Jannah, the entire generations are going to be naqis. Now, did anybody interpret the hadith this way? Yes, they did. Uh, the famous uh, scholar Abdurrahman al-Mu'allimi, uh, he interpreted it this way. He is uh, a famous scholar of Yemen, who also, by the way, went to India and studied in India for a long time and learned Hindi as well when he was in India. This is around 100 and, 
110 years ago. Uh, also, the Indian scholar uh, Anwar Shah Kashmiri uh, also interpreted the hadith this way. Uh, in our times, Mufti Taqi Uthmani. And again, all of these scholars, you know, they are also considering the wordings of this hadith to be interpretations to be problematic. What do we do? It doesn't make sense according to the knowledge that we have. And so Mufti Taqi Uthmani has his commentary on this hadith. Um, and he goes into detail and he as well concludes that this hadith can be understood that the khalq or the creation has remained short in stature up until our times. And I, uh, I, this interpretation actually uh, a number of years ago, a decade ago, uh, I taught a class uh, on Sahih Bukhari, which uh, has not been recorded. Uh, and, and not the whole book, I went over sections and I went over this hadith. And uh, in my own research, I had it uh, up until that point in time, uh, uh, Sheikh Kashmiri's and Mufti Taqir Uthmani's, uh, I did not have those books and I did not know Mu'allimi had said this. but. I came to this conclusion on my own, and then I later on discovered that in fact, Sheikh Mu'allimi and Sheikh Kashmiri and Mufti Taqir Uthmani have said this, so it made me very happy that this fourth interpretation was the one that uh, uh, I thought that this was the one that we can, we're gonna have to do. Uh, because to be honest, the third interpretation opens up a can of worms and it is problematic when you say that a hadith in Bukhari and Muslim is coming from Israeliyat, there's no doubt that it does open up a can of worms and it's a Pandora's box and it's probably best not to go there. But still, anybody who says that, and I quoted you some ulama who did, they are following standard usul al-hadith practices. It's not outside of the, of the uh, point of, of, of deviancy. Now, uh, therefore, to conclude this point before we move on, uh, therefore, Adam alayhi salam was in all likelihood much taller than we are. However, somebody denies this and says, no, this is from the Israeliyat. Well, there are people that have said this from within Sunni Islam. And so if that is the case, then we will remove this from the description of Adam. But as it stands, what I could say is that uh, it, is, it is highly possible and probable, it is a hadith in Bukhari al-Muslim, that Adam alayhi salam was 60 dhira'ah, that Allah created him in Jannah, Allah created him in Jannah uh, in a much larger uh, fashion and form, and when we enter Jannah, inshallah ta'ala, we will also be uh, in a larger body and form. Uh, and in another hadith, the people of Jahannam will also be in a larger body and form. So all of this makes sense. This is in the hereafter and in the pre-creation. All of this makes sense. In this world, Adam alayhi salam and all of us are at a similar level, similar height. This is the interpretation that uh, I have and Allah Azza wa knows best. Okay, what else do we know about Adam alayhi salam? The other thing that we uh, that has been mentioned in a hadith that has been disputed is that uh, uh, Adam uh, was a very uh, hairy person, that his, his hair on his head was dense. And uh, we learn this in a hadith that is reported uh, by Ibn Abi Hatim in his tafsir. It is not in the famous books, it is not even in the tertiary books, it's actually in one of the more obscure uh, books of hadith. You don't generally find a hadith, it's one isnad and uh, some of the scholars have said it's weak and some of the scholars have said it is hasan or just about acceptable. Um, Ibn Hajj said it is hasan for example. And uh, this is uh, Ubay ibn Ka'b narrating from the Prophet wasallam that Adam was a very tall man as if he were a towering date tree. So this hadith also mentions he was a tall man, as if he was a, as if he was a towering day tree is not 60 cubits, a towering day tree is around 20 cubits, 30 cubits, uh, with a lot of hair on his head, with a lot of hair, his shaar was dense. 
And when he committed his mistake, his aura became clear to him and he had never seen it before. So he ran away inside Jannah, but a tree held him. He said, let go of me. But it replied, I shall not let go of you. And his Lord said, O Adam, are you running away from me? And he said, my Lord, I am ashamed in front of you. Now this hadith, some scholars have said it is Hassan. Uh, I personally uh, am skeptical of this, but again, who am I in the face of major giants? But the wording of the hadith uh, has details that are not found in any other uh, narration. Uh, nonetheless, for those who consider this hadith to be authentic, uh, the phrase is, he had a lot of hair, kathif, a shar. His hair was very dense on his head. Uh, the third thing that our scholars have said about Adam alayhi salam, the third thing that they have said is something that is not explicit. It is not explicit, but rather it is derived. It is something that is understood. And that is that Adam must have been exceedingly handsome. He must have been a paragon of beauty, shining beauty. Where do they get this from? How do we, is there any hadith about this? Because Yusuf we know that, you know, and of course this is a, a method of speaking, he was given half of beauty. This does not mean that yani, literally half, half, like it's, a, it's an expression that he was so beautiful, it is as if all of the creation's beauty is in half and, and one person, Yusuf is in half. So uh, how do we derive, or how did many scholars derive that Adam salam was exceedingly handsome? They derived this from a number of verses and common sense. As for the verses, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says in Surah, surah At-Teen that uh, that we created man in the best of all forms. And Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala fashioned Adam with his own hands, right? So, فَإِذَا سَوَّيْتُهُ Allah is saying, once I have fashioned him. So can you imagine Allah azza wa jalla himself directly fashioning Adam? and Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala taking charge of the creation of Adam, then surely that work that is directly, Allah is in charge of it, clearly He is going to be the best. He is going to be the Ahsan as the Fi Ahsani Taqweem. And uh, Allah says in the Quran, Sawwarakum fa ahsana suwarakum that He shaped you and He perfected your shape. He perfected it. If this is for all of us, then how about the one whom Allah Himself directly shaped and directly took charge of? And uh, the scholar uh, Suhaili said, commenting on Yusuf having been given half of beauty, uh, that uh, he said that, that this means that Adam, since Allah created him with his own hands, that none of the creation could, could compare to Adam in uh, beauty. So. Uh, it is as if uh, he is saying that, look, if Yusuf has been given half of all beauty, so the scholar of Suhaili is saying, this means the, our father Adam would have had pretty much the full beauty because Allah created him directly. And uh, this is a very interesting point that I don't have any problem accepting and believing. It's a very nice point because it makes complete sense. In the end of the day, Allah Azzawajal directly created Adam uh, and breathed the ruh into him and fashioned him with his own hands. And so 
clearly there must be something special about the form of Adam السلام, and all of our genes and all of our DNA, it goes back to our father Adam. And so clearly the, imagine the best of the best, all of it is gonna be embodied in our father Adam السلام. We have one uh, very long topic, which I cannot start right now because it is a very long topic, but it is something we'll discuss next time. I'll just bring it up very quickly right now. Another aspect that is a point of controversy and we're not gonna go into a lot of detail in this controversy, but inshallah, I'll go over it uh, briefly. Uh, and that is that uh, the form of Adam. So we're talking about the characteristics of Adam. Was he tall? Was he hairy? Uh, was he handsome? All of this. Now we have one other issue, but because it's so long, I don't wanna cut it in half. So I'm gonna just mention it and then inshallah, we'll take our, our break for today and then come back next week inshallah ta'ala. And that is the form or the shape of Adam because there's another hadith that tells us uh, a phrase that has generated controversy even within Ahl Sunnah, but the controversy is really not over its authenticity or not, it's about how do we understand the hadith, how do we understand this hadith. And uh, that is the famous phrase that is found in Bukhari and Muslim, that Allah created Adam in His image. Allah created Adam in His image. Now, image here means form, shape, in his image or shape. Now obviously this hadith, from the very beginning of time, from the time of the tabi'un and taba tabi'un, has generated a lot of discussion and debate. What does this mean that Allah created Adam in his image? And we will inshallah uh, bring up this topic and summarize it because uh, I can assure you this topic is one that actually scholars have written entire books about. And the famous ulama of the past, you know, from uh, Al-Qadi Abu Ya'la to Ibn Furaq to Al-Ghazali to uh, Ibn Taymiyyah, they have all have detailed discussions and it is one of the controversies over the attributes, over the sifat. And you know, that's my area of expertise. I have an entire master's decision on the sifat controversy from Medina, that's all that I did, but that's not the subject of our Adam series. So I will summarize it very briefly next week inshallah, so that you're aware that this is there uh, because the question arises, what does it mean Allah created Adam in his image? And we'll talk about that inshallah ta'ala uh, next week, bi'idhnillahi ta'ala. Until then, I will uh, see you bi'idhnillahi ta'ala. Wassalamu alaikum wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuh. لقد كان في قصصهم عبرة لأولي الألباب ما كان حديثا يفترى ولكن تصديق الذي بين يديه وتفصيل كل شيء وهدى وهدى ورحمة لقوم يؤمنون